Let's open our Bibles today to the book of Nehemiah. And I really... This morning, I just almost feel like I just want to just quietly talk to you this morning rather than preaching so much. And I think this message that the Lord has put on my heart is kind of, kind of that way. And, and by the way, let me thank you again for, for your generous giving today. But, but you're not giving to me. I'm not going to be gone one day. Amen. All of us are going to be gone one day. But you know... You're investing in eternity. You know that? You're, gonna, you're investing in eternal work. Those that gave online today, those that are watching on the internet today, you're giving to something that's going to outlast our day. And in eternity, one day in, in eternity future, someone's going to stop you and say, thank you. Because after you were gone, I went to that church you invested in and built, and I gave my heart to Jesus and it created a ripple effect, and my family got saved, and my grandkids got saved, and, and thank you, thank you so much. We're investing beyond our day. Don't forget that. You've got to, you've got to do that. And God, in these next 12 to 18 months or so here, you're going to get a beautiful church. We're going to do this together. Just keep praying, keep giving, keep believing, and let's take up the work of the Lord. I want to soothe your heart today. I, with God's help, I hope I can, can do that. With my voice that the Lord has given me today, we've been uh, in a series this year, late last year, November, December. I was just praying about where the Lord would take us. I mean, you know, the Lord knows he, he's, he's well able to guide us. He knows what's going to happen tomorrow, the next day, a year from now. And uh, my, my mind and my heart went to Nehemiah, of course, because we're, we're beginning this project and a lot of things are moving and a lot of moving parts right now. I know you're not seeing that, but just believe me, a lot of, a lot of moving parts need a lot of your prayers. But those people said to Nehemiah, after he went all the way to Jerusalem, and I remind you that he had a heart. His heart was burdened. Is your heart burdened? What's your heart on today? What's your heart on today? You know, I carry some things on my heart. I've carried this church for decades now, well, well, well over a decade. I've carried this church on my heart, carried my family on my heart. Uh, you carry your family on your heart. I find that there's usually one, two if you're lucky, but usually in every family, there's somebody that carries the spiritual load. I don't know why it's that way, but it's usually one person that just carries a sense of spiritual burden for people. And sometimes it's two, but many times it's just one. And this dream, if you will, started for these walls and these gates. It started in Nehemiah's heart. It was something deeply spiritual that took place. It wasn't just him going, hey, I've got a good idea. I'd like to see those walls built. But the Holy Spirit came on him and began to do a great work. And that's where the work starts. And I, I would just ask you again, do you carry, what do you carry? Do you carry this church in your heart? It's not my church. I'm very careful, very careful. You, you'll, you maybe have never noticed this, to use personal pronouns referring to the church. I don't refer this my church. It's not my church. This is the Lord's church. Amen. I'm very careful. I've heard preachers try to, hey, your church. Oh, hold on a second. To some preacher in some meeting. Hey, where, where's your church? I don't have a church. Now, now, if you're talking about Jesus' church that I am serving in, oh, that's different. That's at 1535 North Beltline Road. 
I'm very careful to use personal pronouns because this is his church that he purchased with his blood. So we need to be really careful about how we address the church. It is the body. In fact, I really would like to do a series of messages on our identity. And I've been reading and been meditating in scripture about that. But we're God's people. And God did something very deep in Nehemiah's heart. And it was so deep that he wept over it. It was so deep that he fasted about it. And then God, in his marvelous grace, worked out all the extenuating circumstances. We can wear ourselves out about how the little circumstances are all going to come together. I'm so glad we serve the all-wise God. He can put it all together. Amen? And he's doing it. He's going to do it. And the best is yet to come for us. And so we come to chapter 3 of Nehemiah. What do we find there? We find a busy bunch of people, and one's building here, and one's building there, and one's building this part of the wall, and another one's helping build this gate. But everyone was busy. There was only just a very few people that weren't busy, and Nehemiah rebukes them in about chapter 3, verse 5. The Tekoites wouldn't put their shoulder and their next, or their shoulder to the work. But it, most, most everyone's busy. And I think the Lord looks down, and he's so pleased when he sees Everyone busy doing something that they can do. Everyone can do something. It may be a little, but, or it can be large. You, you may not lead a ministry. You may never lead a ministry, but I want to tell you that if you're on the wall helping build Trinity Life Church, it is so important. And I think one of the lies that the enemy tells people is, you know, my little giving won't matter. My little effort won't matter. My little ministry, my little part doesn't matter. You listen to me. That's a lie from the enemy. You matter. You matter vitally. And you matter, especially right now in this, in this season that we're in. And so these people are busy. Now, there's one verse I want to look at, and, and it's in the verse 13. And it says, Hanun, Nehemiah 3.13, Hanun and the inhabitants of Zenoah repaired the valley gate. Everyone said that with me, the valley gate. Now, we remember there were 10 gates, the valley gate. They built it. They hung its doors with its bolts, with its bar. I mean, I mean this, gate, this gate needs to be really strong. We, we need this gate to be strong. And repaired 1,000 cubits of wall as far as the refuse gate. And I would just ask, as I minister to you today, trusting the Lord to give me some words of soothing and comfort for you today, that the Lord will bless my words and that the Lord would bless our hearts to receive the word of the Lord. Now, you know, one of the lots that every one of us have drawn in life, even though you didn't know you drew it, but one of the lots that every one of us are born with is that we're born into a world of suffering. Every one of us, different times, different seasons, different ways, and even different measures, have gone through suffering. And maybe you're here today and you're going through a, a season of suffering. Remember Job said, a man, man born of woman is of a few days and full of trouble. There's something that everyone going through this life experiences, and that's suffering, and that's trouble, and those are difficulties. And the first prophecy that God gave to Adam after the sin, and, and he plunged the world into sin, the Lord said in Genesis 3, this prophecy, 
He talked about in verse 17. He said, curse for thee the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Verse 18, but thorns and thistles is going to bring for you. Those, those thorns and thistle moments, those difficulties that we experience, we see it going on right now. This coronavirus, you know, and, and if you're not concerned with that, I'm not saying that we need to be greatly concerned here in America, but look what's happening. Already some Americans have died, hundreds of people have died. That's that, thorn, that's that thorns and thistles. And the first prophecy concerning Jesus in the Bible was about suffering. 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. It, Jesus, that's a, that's a prophecy that he is going to crush the head of the serpent. But in the crushing, he said, your heel's going to get bruised. There's going to be suffering for Jesus in the middle of that. Now, we're going to look at Jesus today primarily. Well, you know that Jesus drank, he drank the full cup of the human experience. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read my Bible, this really touches me. When I think about Jesus, God the Son, the eternally existent Son, choosing. Now, we don't get to choose. It really gets chosen for us. I mean, no one knows what a day may bring forth. I mean, yesterday, my, uh, yesterday evening, our little grandson, Ezra, you know, Mackenzie's not here, Carlos is here, but Mackenzie's not here because Ezra was taken to the emergency room, had some kind of little upper respiratory thing. He wasn't breathing well. They became concerned and took him to the emergency room. You know, he didn't choose that. We don't choose those kind of things. But when we think of, we think of our marvelous and matchless Savior, Choosing to come and to drink the full cup of human experience. Now think about it. He being fully God, fully God, yet taking upon himself, choosing to take upon himself the nature of man. Choosing to drink the cup. You know, it, it, in taking the cup and, t- and taking upon himself the nature of man, he took up upon himself the full experience of humanity except sin. Did you catch that last part? Except sin. He became sin who knew no sin. He took sin upon himself, but he drank the full cup of human experience. In other words, he walked through that valley gate. There's 10 gates, and these gates represent the life, the message, and even the nature of the Lord. It's called a typology, really. You see, Abraham's ram was a type of Jesus, was it not? The pillar of fire, the pillar of crown, typology all through the Old Testament. Veil, but yet we know who it pointed to. It pointed to Jesus Christ. Remember what he said to those on the Emmaus Road? He, he, he walked them through his message through the whole Old Testament, which spoke of him time and time and time Again, valley gate, difficulties, suffering. He chose to drink that cup. Isaiah said he was a man of sorrows. Have you ever been sad? Maybe you've been sad this week. Jesus was sad at times. We catch, we catch very vulnerable moments of our Savior as it says that he wept. That's more, than, that's more than just a little tear. At times, it would say that he would groan. He groaned at the tomb of Lazarus. 
When he looked over Jerusalem for one of the last times, it says he wept over the city, over their poor choices. He's a man of sorrow. Notice this, acquainted with grief. Grief was his acquaintance. We've been looking at these message of the gates. We, because it says his gates are praise. And when we see Jesus, we see pure praise. When we see Jesus, we see what praises him to the utmost. We see what brings honor to God in the utmost. Do you know when we praise Jesus, we're giving the highest praise? Why? Because he said to Thomas, I think it was, he said, have I been so long with you and have you not seen me? If you see me, you see the Father. When we breathe and pray the name of Jesus, we're speaking the highest name. That wonderful name. Come on, that saving name, that, that healing name, that delivering name, that name that heaven blushes at because he's just so great. We looked at the sheep gate, which talks about sacrifice. We looked at the, the fish gate, which talks about souls. We looked at the, the, the fountain gate, which talks about the spirit of God. But today we look at another gate. We look at the valley gate. Hmm. When we contemplate this, we think about Jesus coming down, 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 down into the valley of humiliation. It's his, it's his gate, but it's also our gate. I want you to remember something. I want you to remember this. Jesus, it says, it's touched with the feelings of our infirmities because he is this gate and he went through this gate in, 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 his, in his earthly life. It says in Hebrews 2, and eight, 17 and 18, therefore in all things he was made like his brethren. That's us. That he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Notice verse 18. In that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid. He is able to aid. Listen, he's able to help you today. Aid those who are being tempted, who are tempted. 4, 15 and 16. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness. Notice, but he was in all points tempted. He was in all points tempted, tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Pastor, where'd I go today? Where'd I go with this hurt? Where do I go with, with this bitter cup that I have to drink? Where do I go with the pain of divorce? Where do I go with, with hurtful things people have said? And where do I go with, with these pains? You can go to someone who understands. Tempted in everything as we were tempted, yet notice this, without sin. Amen? Now, of course, when we talk about a valley, that's a metaphor. When I talk about a valley, we're not talking about something literal we're not talking about going into a literal valley, but it's a metaphor and it stands, when we talk about valleys, it talks about those difficulties we, we face in life, those, those painful moments, those valley experiences that we face. David said this, he said this, you go through the valley of the shadow of death. 
When we were in southern Israel, we were riding in a vehicle, and the, our guide said, if you look to the right, he said, all, this, the, David trekked all through this area, and he said, look up in these crevices. Look up in these places, these dark places, these, these places. They, they even looked evil. They were so jagged and ugly looking. He said, David could have wrote this while leading the sheep through these caresses here. The valley of the shadow, those deep, very deep and dark places. David spoke about the suffering, not of lost people, but he talked about even those that follow God. Believers go through deep valleys. We go through valley gates. David spoke in another place like this. He said, the righteous cry out, and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. Everyone say troubles. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart. If you had a broken heart before, certainly you have. Do you remember the first time in your life that you remembered what sorrow was? I do, strangely enough. The first time that as, as a human being, as a little boy, sorrow came into my heart. I can tell you when it was. I can tell you almost exactly where I was. I can tell you in the vehicle which I was riding in. I was, I was riding in an old Oldsmobile of my grandfather's. And he was, his body was in the casket in the hearse in front of us. And we were riding in his car that he used to ride us in. And we were going to the graveside. And I remember as a little boy, it was about 1971, as a little boy riding in that passenger. I, I was in the back seat on the left side. I could tell you where I was. And as a little boy, for the very first time, now I'm not talking about getting a spanking and crying. I'm not talking about that, plenty of that. I'm talking about sorrow. How I many you know what I'm saying? The first time in my little life, sorrow flooded my heart. Tears began to wash down my face. And I remember what I thought as I turned my head away from those in the car because I was ashamed that anyone would see me cry. My grandfather was gone. See, David knew that even children of God go through valley moments. He says here that he saves those who are broken heart, those of a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers us out of them all. Let's look to Jesus today. Down, down, down into the valley of into the valley gate. We think of Jesus in his humiliation, in his incarnation. Open your Bible with me, if you would, to Philippians chapter two. We get something marvelous. In fact, many scholars believe that this part of this is a hymn of the church. In Philippians chapter two, we get a marvelous teaching that's very foreign to this world. Do you know there's a lot of arrogance in the world? And I'm sure 
If I admit it in my own heart, there's still a lot of that in me. Maybe you would admit that for your own life. I can't for you, but he teaches about humility. And what example is he going to give? What example is Paul going to give of how the church needs to relate to one another in this sameness of mind, in this real love and real selflessness and this real consideration? And he says in verse three, let nothing be done through selfish ambition and conceit. In other words, selfishness. Don't, don't do anything out of selfishness. We don't, the Christians are not to be selfish. Now, why do you think he would write that? He would write that because we can be Christians and be selfish. We can come to church and be selfish. We can come to church, never give anything, never think about someone else, never pray for anyone else, just come and consume. And Paul said, don't do that. That's not the church. Don't be conceited. I told our men today, we have a, a 8.30 men's Bible class, and uh, one of the things that we taught on today is how the Holy Spirit exalts Jesus. He doesn't exalt me. God forbid. He doesn't exalt the name of a church. He doesn't exalt some famous celebrity preacher. There is no such thing as that in the mind of God. But I can tell you what he does do. He exalts Christ. And here he says this. Notice this. He says, but in, in lowliness of mind. See, that's where humility starts. Humility starts in our minds. And also, I would say this, pride starts in our mind. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. But here, lowliness of mind. So we have to get our thinking right. To, to, really, engage, to really walk in humility, if there was, listen to this, if there was true humility in every church, there would never be any major conflict. Zero. Because all conflict, according to Proverbs, comes from an elevated heart, pride. Someone lifts himself up against God's authority in God's ways. But in lowliness of mind. So to walk in true humility, what, what do we have to do? We have to think right. We have to put on the mind of Christ. So what is, what is right thinking? Well, just let me pull something out of my mind. First of all, that no one's better than anyone else. Amen? No race is better than any other race. No one, listen, no one that has more substance of things is any better than a poor person that may sit across in another part of the church. I met with a man today, this week that's worth probably $100 million. Did you, did you hear what I said? $100 million. He is no better than any other person. So we have to see how valuable each person is in the mind of God. We have to realize that, that, our, that, that one of the ways is that everything that you and I have been given are gifts of God. You may have a higher intelligence quotient than someone else, that doesn't mean anything before God. That intellect is God's intellect. You may be able to do a certain thing and have a certain ability that someone else doesn't have, but that's God's ability that he's given you. And if you use it for selfish purposes, you'll deal with God one day. 
We have to have a lowliness of mind. But notice the illustration, verse four. Let each one of you not look on his own interest, but also on the interest of others. The more humble a person becomes, the more they think about other people. The more servant-hearted they become. Now notice this. Then this incredible passage of scripture that I never get tired of. The valley gate. Jesus moving down, down, down from, from heavenly glory to earthly humility. Verse five, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, the very image of God, did not consider Robert to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taken upon himself uh, the, the form of a bond servant, and coming in the likeness of men, And being found in the appearance as a man, in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. This is God the Son. Listen, the creator of the world, the great great all-powerful, omniscient, all-powerful, omnipresent gods. He, look at it, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Even the death of the cross. He humbled himself. Just think about it. Jesus, this is Jesus' loss. It's a willing loss, but it's a loss. This passage, this valley gate, this is about Jesus' willing loss. Most human beings are not willing to give up anything or sacrifice anything or, or they're, they're, we have a, a modern church of I don't want any discomfort and yet Jesus said, take up the cross. If you're really gonna follow me, take up the cross. So think about it. Jesus left glory. He took upon himself humanity. We call it incarnation. It's, it's Jesus God becoming a man. He traded heaven for a manger. He traded worship and glory for mocking and rejection and pain. He traded no limitations for limitations. It's called the kenosis, the self-emptying. It's a willing loss. Listen, Jesus, listen to me, Jesus didn't cease to become God and become man. He never ceased to be God, but he took upon himself the nature of man. But listen to me, he laid aside the prerogatives of deity for those 33 and a half years. He laid aside the privileges of deity and truly limited himself. It's a self-limitation. It's the kenosis, the self-emptying. And for those 33 and a half years, he humbles himself. God among us. You say, did Jesus feel that loss? Or or was he somehow a a, a superman? Well, he was a superman, but he, he took upon himself the true nature of man. He drank the full cup of humanity. You say, did he feel the loss? There's a scripture that gives us indication that he longed to be back in the Father's presence. Look at the screen, John 17, five. Jesus is praying. And now, oh Father, 
Glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Yeah. He longed for the Father's perfect presence, perfect love, perfect fellowship. So the question is this. What losses have you experienced in your life? What valley gates have you walked through in your life or maybe are walking through at this moment? Loss of job? Loss of marriage? Loss of loved one, Sister Donna, Tori? Some of you don't know this. You're new here. Donna, Donna's husband, Joey, was such a wonderful person. Man, I tell you, they don't make them like him very often. And uh, every, before every service, he would say these words, Pastor, how can I help you? How can I help you, Pastor? What a loss for all of us. Loss of friendships, loss of health. What about loss of finance? What about loss of missed opportunities that you're like, we all experience loss. We can find ourselves in incredible, difficult circumstances. It's the valley gate. Jesus, just simply because Jesus came and became a person, a human being, a man, he took upon himself humanity without being sinful. But yet he drank the full cup. He experienced, as I read it, he experienced everything you experience. He's touched with all the feelings of our infirmities. Think about the suffering of Jesus. Think about the valley gate. Think about how Jesus suffered as a child. You know, we have children that suffer in our world. We need to, we're working on our children's ministry. We're trying to get it excellent, and we want, to, we want kids to come. We want our little boys and girls in our city to come. We're going to need more workers. We're going to be expanding. We're going to have a lot more room. We're going to have a lot more, we're going to have classes that are nice. We're going to have safe check-in. We're going to have a, a worship space, a sanctuary for them because kids suffer. Boys and girls suffer physical abuse, often emotional abuse. They suffer neglect. But you know, Jesus suffered as a child. Matthew talks about how that his whole family had to flee Israel because Herod was going to murder him. And little boys were murdered in Bethlehem. Jesus had to escape. Yet that had to create something in him. Mommy and Daddy, why are we living in Egypt? We're Jewish people. You know, how, how old was Jesus when he, it says, out of Egypt have I called my son, which means later the angel spoke to Joseph and said through a dream, come back, go back to Israel, go back to the, the land of, of, of Israel. How old was Jesus when that happened? We don't know. How, was he two? Was he three? Was he four? Surely he was old enough to understand. Why are we living in Egypt? Why are we living in exile? Oh, God forbid. The Jewish people have been exiled over and over again. The Jewish people are a very special people used by God. And here's Jesus exiled as a child down in Egypt. And I can tell you this about Jesus. I can tell you this about God. Jesus 
has a very special love for children. I can tell you that. I can tell you that. You know, I tell you this much. You can tell what a culture is by the way they treat their children. The Bible says in Matthew 19, those, those mothers came to Jesus and said they wanted, they, those mothers wanted Jesus to lay hands and bless these kids. And the disciples rebuked those women Think, thinking, thinking that Jesus didn't have enough time. He, he was healing the sick and he was doing too great a work. Jesus rebuked them. I mean, sometimes Jesus has to rebuke some preachers because they've gotten off base. And Jesus said, suffer the little children to come for such is the kingdom of heaven. And he blessed those kids, laid hands on them. Wouldn't you want to know where that blessing took those kids? Wouldn't you want to trace their little lives Praise God. Jesus suffered as a child. What about temptation? You ever been tempted? And the answer is yes. All of us are tempted. You hear that? Let me say that again. Every human being is tempted. And the, most, and the worst place you can be in is to think that you have become such a spiritual giant that you're above temptation. No, you're about ready for a fall. Jesus said we need to pray this way. Lead us not into temptation. Why would we pray that? Because we're all temptable. Think about this. Jesus faced the pressure to disobey God. The Bible said he was led out into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit, compelled to go out there. And this battle was on. And three temptations. And each time Jesus was there alone and he was, he was using the word of God. He must have loved the, the book of Deuteronomy, quoted often out of the book of Deuteronomy. Quoted out of Psalms there too. The devil misquoted it. Jesus had to set him straight. You know, the word of God is with you. The word of God is the power. But, but it's, it's interesting that every day of Jesus' life, the enemy was there to, to pull him away from his mission. I don't believe it led up very often, every once in a while. Jesus said this to the religious leader, or to his disciples. He said, when I was with you, I'm sorry, to the religious leaders. He said, when I was with you in the temple, you did not try to seize me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. This is your hour and the power of darkness. This was those demon spirits flowing and inspiring the religious leaders to tempt Jesus and to try to stop him from going to the cross. But anyway, God used them to take him to the cross in his sovereignty. But he faced temptation. Do you know we live in the culture today? It's becoming more godless all the time. And we feel that pull, don't we, of that valley gate. You feel it. You feel it on TV. You feel it just with people you, you connect with. And, and, and in our culture today, there's a godlessness. There's, a, there's an unrighteousness of the lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, the pride of life. But I want you to know the Lord can give you and I victory, just like the Lord gave Jesus overwhelming victory. But my point is Jesus went through this valley gate. Jesus suffered these things. Jesus experienced this thing. Maybe, maybe you're here today and this week you felt horrible pull of temptation in your life. I want you to know Jesus can help you because he's been through those things. Let's take another, another part of this valley gate that Jesus went through, this must have been very difficult. Well, I know it was, because the psalmist talk about it, is Jesus was betrayed by a close friend. It says, now, now betrayal is something that is, 
is something that's hard to handle because 99% of the time, no one sees it coming. You know, we entrust our lives to people. You know, the Bible talks about a friend loveth at all time and a brother's born for adversity. Can I tell you this? If you have a dear friend, you, you have a treasure. You have something you can't put a price on. But as human beings, especially in the body of Christ, we relate to each other. And, and, and many times we share things, even as pastors, we share, we share our heart with people. We, we bear our soul to people. We, we bear our burdens to people. We bear vulnerabilities with people. And if you've ever been betrayed, you don't see it coming. You just don't see it coming. Now, I know that Jesus saw this coming. He knew it was going to happen a long time before it happens because he's the son of God. But we're not. Here's what it said. Jesus was betrayed. It says in the Psalms, there's a prophecy about this. Three thousand, you know, years before this happened, thousand years or so. Psalm, one, Psalm 41, 9, it says, even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted. Notice that. This is speaking of Judas and Jesus' relationship. Now, David, it starts with David. This happened to David, but it is a messianic psalm. Even my own familiar friend, whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. Well, my friend, Jesus walked through this valley gate. Someone in his own inner circle, in his own team, if you could say it that way, whom he chose for greatness. He chose to be one of the original disciples, one of the original apostles. His name could have been one of the, one of the foundations in that new Jerusalem. But Judas made a choice. I think the old King James has it correct. He fell by transgression. It wasn't something that God forced him to do. He fell by transgression. He chose to betray the very son of God, 30 pieces of silver. How many know the devil will lead you to dark places and then when he's done with you, he won't even spit on you? Judas went back to those leaders and said, I've made a great mistake. But let me tell you something. There's some mistakes that can't be taken back. You just mark that down. There's some things you can't take back. And they said, we don't want that dirty money. I'm paraphrasing, of course. Took the money, he just threw it in there. You know, sin will promise you something that could never fulfill you. Only Jesus can fulfill those empty places of our life. There's not enough money in the world that can fill those empty places. But Jesus and his love and his mercy can fill us today. Amen? Amen. Jesus suffered. I'll, I'll skip down a little bit. He, he suffered rejection. It's hard to be rejected. Now, you may, you may be a tough person, and I'm a, I'm a pretty strong person. I've been told that, at least. I don't think I am. You may be strong, but I can tell you, I've not met anyone that deals with rejection well. But Jesus was rejected. He had multitudes that followed him. Let me just tell you this. Be wary of the multitudes. Be wary of the crowds. Because a crowd doesn't mean a whole lot. I mean, you, you can gather a crowd at Dodger Stadium. It doesn't mean a whole lot as far as God is concerned. You can be a hero 
And the next day you can be a zero. Even in our own entertainment culture, a hero today can be a zero and never mentioned tomorrow. Jesus was preaching and healing and ministering. And finally he gets down to the serious nature of his message. And I'm almost done. He gets down to the serious nature of what it means to follow him. Eat my bread, eat my flesh that is, and drink my blood. Now he wasn't talking about literally because later on in that passage in John 6, he's talking about believing and receiving and accepting. But we, we got to take the whole Christ. And notice what they said. I will read this. John six sixty. Therefore many of his disciples, when they heard this, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that the disciples complained about this, he said to them, does this offend you? And I ask you that today. Does this offend you? If it does, I'm sorry. I can't change it. I won't change it. What am I going to do? Change my whole message? What was Jesus going to do? Oh, well, what is, let's poll the crowd. What does the crowd want? You ever notice that Jesus never did that? He didn't poll the crowd. What's the popular thing? What's the popular message? Oh, let's change it. No, we can't change it. It's the old gate. How can we change the old gate? How can we change the word that doesn't ever change? God forbid if we change it. Does this offend you? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It is the Spirit that gives life. The flesh profits nothing. All you Jewish Pharisees, all you religious leaders, all the things you're doing in the flesh, it won't save you, it won't get you to heaven. The word that I speak to you is spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. He knew from the beginning. What beginning is that? I don't know. Beginning of the choosing of them Beginning of his, I don't know when the beginning was, but wherever the beginning that speaks of, he knew what was in Judas and he knew who didn't really believe. And then it says, therefore he said to them, no one can come to me unless it is granted him, him by my father. Verse 66, from that time, from that time, up until this time, there'd been miracles, signs, fever pitch, people all over coming in multitudes. But something changed. The Ch Jesus church went down. You hear what I said? Jesus church went down. All the while, Jesus was doing everything the Father had asked him to do. And I'm sure the crowd, I'm sure CNN and ABC, CBS, I'm sure they all got in, and I'm sure the church gossip said, so, you know, Jesus is just not as exciting as he used to be. Got my drift here? You know, I don't know. Jesus has lost something. You know, we used to have miracles. I don't, you know, look, we used to, we used to have the multi bread and the fishes multiplied. Blind eyes used to be open. Wonder, wonder what's happened to Jesus. People say all kind of things. But at, from that time, look at the screen. From that time, many, everyone say many, many of his disciples went back and walked with him. No more. Jesus was rejected. His family rejected him, didn't believe him, thought he was crazy, Mark 3.21. He was rejected by his own hometown, tried to cast him off out of the city, off the brow of the hill, and we went to Nazareth, many of you, 
And that was a brow hill. I mean, it was like way down. His preaching was rejected. He was rejected by the religious leaders and said, and here's what they said about Jesus. Can you imagine this? Yeah, he's casting out demons, but he's casting out demons by Beelzebub. They said Jesus was of the devil. I'm going to tell you, they're of the devil. My Jesus is the prince. Come on. Rejected by his own nation. I'm almost done. Listen. Came to his own, own received him not. Mocked, ridiculed. You know, we live in a culture of incivility. And I'll just be honest with you. I've heard our president say some things that he should not say. Are you looking at me? I'm not a political person. He says some things he doesn't need to say. What he said at that prayer meeting was absolutely wrong. The man, maybe you didn't see it. The man got up before him and talked about forgiveness. We need to forgive. He gets up afterwards and says, sir, I don't agree with you. Well, I'm going to tell you what. Our president is wrong. And it was wrong for him to gloat. Now, I'm not, I'm there again, I'm not a political person. I'm dealing with spiritual things today. We've all been wounded. We've got to forgive. We've got to forgive. We may not have been able to fellowship with our enemies, but we certainly can pray for them. Nehemiah got mocked. Sam and Tobias, look at this stupid wall they're building. There may be people saying that about us. Look at this dumb. You think they're going to build a church? Trinity Life Church going to build a church? How are they going to do that? We're not. The Lord is. See, nasty words can cut deep into a person's soul. They can wound us. They can discourage us. See, mocking is designed to paralyze us and to retreat from the difficult task. And on the cross, they were literally mocking Jesus. Look at him. If you're the son of God, come down. I mean, he's got nails in his hands and his feet, a crown down up on his brow. He's been beaten to the edge of death. And they're mocking him. They were so hard. There was no compassion in them. None. They had blasphemed the Holy Spirit. They were dead spiritually. The worst people in the world are religiously dead people. They are the worst people I've ever dealt with in my life. There's no love there. Jesus faced all that. I conclude with this. If our musicians would come. We're going to have a little time of prayer here. Another, another part of this valley for Jesus was Jesus' experience loneliness. Have you ever felt alone? In a world with seven or eight billion people or so, we can feel alone at times. We had a men's fellowship yesterday, and we're going to start doing this every second Tuesday, as I've already mentioned. I'm sorry, every second Saturday. Not second Tuesday. Every second Saturday, we're going to have a men's fellowship, and I believe it's going to build, and we're going to get our schedules. We're going to come for a breakfast. We're going to come for a time in the Word, a time of just encouragement one another. When I, when I announced that we were going to have a men's fellowship, someone in this church that's here today listening to me came up to me. And when they heard I mentioned that, they came up with a tear in their eye. Tears. All I'd said, hey, we're going to have a Saturday men's fellowship. And the brother came up to me with a tear. 
almost in his voice cracked. He says, Pastor, thank you. And he said, I need that. I need this right now. See, Jesus experienced that. Matthew says he went out to the wilderness to be tempted. He was alone. The psalmist says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you far from helping me? And from the words of my groaning, my God, I cry in the daytime, but you, are, you, but you do not hear in the night season, and I am not silent. God, where are you? I feel so lonely. This was Jesus' cry on the cross. Jesus, after a hard, long day of ministry, everybody's coming. Everybody wants something. Everybody wants a healing, a word. Everybody wants something from Jesus. And then it said, he sent the multitudes away, and he went up on a mountain by himself to pray. And it says, now it was evening, when evening came. Notice this, he was there alone. Yeah. John, he said this in 16, indeed, the hour is coming that you will be scattered, each to his own, and, and will leave me alone. I'm, I'm going to enter a lonely season. Peter boasts, oh, no, I'm not leaving you. Yeah, you're leaving. Yeah. And then he said, yet I'm not alone because the Father's with me. I want you to stand with me. You know, we've all had those moments. We've all had those moments when... Uh, We've been through this valley gate, but I, I wanted you to see, and I, I hope even in a feeble way that you see today that Jesus, Jesus went through this gate for us. He, he knows what we're going through today. And I, and, the, and, and I conclude with this question, how do we overcome suffering? And the way that we overcome suffering is that God is, Jesus is called the God of all comfort. So I just la- I lay this out for you this morning, that no matter what you're going through, no matter what valley gate you're going through today, Maybe you're hurting on the inside today. Maybe you've experienced that loss or rejection or hurt or mocking or maybe 20 other things you could think about. I want you to know that God's a God of all comfort. He's a God that can bring strength and love and peace. You know, I remember a reading in the scripture where it says that Jesus was asleep in the storm. And I don't know how you read that. Some would read, oh, he has so much peace that he's in the storm and he's a beast. I don't know if that's it. I think it may be that he's so exhausted that there's a, there's a fierce storm and yet he's asleep because he's absolutely exhausted. And sometimes valley experiences can be that way. So what I want to do is I want to pray. And as I conclude in prayer, maybe you just want to come and just stand up here in the front. It may be one or two, it may be many, but I believe if we would just get in the presence of God and worship I believe the Lord can give us such love and such strength and such comfort that he can give you grace and mercy to help in your time of need. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray a brief prayer. And if you're going through anything, and nobody even knows needs to know what you're going through. It could just be something personal that you want to come and bring the Lord. But I want to ask you that if you're going through one of those valley gates and those valley moments, I want you just to come and stand and just worship and let the Lord touch you. So Father, today... I ask that you would give special mercy, special grace to each of your precious kids today. May you impart new strength. May you impart comfort in Jesus' name. If you just want to come, come and worship. 
as they begin to sing and just bring your need to the Lord. Just